Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And George will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons What's up guys? Welcome to the Walk-Ons Podcast It's Ryan Reeves It's Thursday, October 14th, 2021 And you guessed it We've got a killer show for you today We've got MLB postseason It's heating up Of course, college football some NFL, and we've also got Kat Biancardi, who is an awesome, awesome interview. She's she's done it all in the world. She's worked for Longhorn Network, Flow Sports, Bleacher Report. She's now a digital host and reporter for the Queen Sports Network and Queens University in Charlotte. So definitely want to hang around for that. But Andrew Schuster, first things first, my man. MLB postseason, it's getting good. It's getting really good. And I, I feel kind of bad we're recording this before the Giants-Dodgers game because that's pretty much going to determine who wins the World Series this year, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, listen... <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with that. I am, uh, I've been on edge all day. Um, obviously, uh, as a big Giants fan, I, I am, I'm sweating it a little bit. Uh, game four did not tip the series in, in a good direction. Uh, I mean, we were talking about this offline. It really just feels like if, if a team's going to score more than five runs in this game, it's going to be the Dodgers. So that, that lineup just up and down. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me what the Dodgers have done, honestly. And I'm going to give them a little dap here. I wish I wouldn't, but I mean, Clayton Kershaw out for this season that you think that'd be a huge blow. Now nah, we're just going to roll Max Scherzer out there. We're going to roll 21 game winner, Julio Arias out there. Who's, who's pitching tonight. Walker Bueller, who just brings yeah. the gas. I mean, Oh, Max Muncy's hurt 36 home runs. Yeah. You think that hurt now nah, we're just going to roll, roll Cody Bellinger out there at first base. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Don't forget Dustin may there in the rotation as well. The, the long flowing red locks. I mean, the Dodgers are that epitome of they don't rebuild, they reload. And it just feels like, God, I hope the Giants win tonight, but if they do, it's going to be a huge upset. Yeah, and it's, oh, man, there's so many things you could talk about with this series. Um, like I said, you know, in the opening, I think whoever wins this is probably the favorite to win the World Series. I agree. Let me say this. I hate the Dodgers. I have nothing against the Giants, but part of me, it, it, I, I can't lose because the Giants win great. You know, screw the Dodgers. Glad they're out of here. Part of me is kind of looking forward to the Dodgers winning so that they can play the Astros in the World Series and they give oh the baseball God. world what we all know we, we need to see. But like I said, you know, I ultimately, I hate the Dodgers. If the Giants win, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. But yeah, and and I think the biggest takeaway is how this is going to potentially shake up the wild card going forward. Um, You know, the MLB CBA, I think they're reconvening the negotiations this year. And I'm sure, especially with two premier teams like this, the Giants, the Dodgers coming to the table saying, we cannot repeat this. We cannot have potentially the two best teams in the MLB facing off in the NLDS. You know, at the very least, this is an NLCS for getting a seven game series, not a five game series. And it took, the Dodgers had to win on a walk-off home run against the Cardinals just to even be in this position. So I think the wild card system needs to be complete. I wouldn't say completely revamped, but changes definitely need to be made. Um, we went over it a couple of weeks ago, so we don't need to get into it here, but I think it's definitely shown that we just can't have a situation like this again, where the two best teams are potentially meeting in the you know divisional round. Yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, and I hate to call something like, you know, de facto this, de facto that. This this feels like the de facto World Series. I mean, two, the two winningest franchises in ba- Major League Baseball history, two huge rivals uh, in the same state, and they're really the two best teams in baseball right now. And here they are playing in the NLDS, and there's still two two rounds left. I mean, yeah, the, the system's definitely broken. We talked about this at length. You mentioned that, that on our last show. A one-game wild card is absolutely stupid after 162 games. Uh, the fact that the Dodgers and Giants are playing in the NLDS is absolutely stupid. Uh, but from a game standpoint, you know, 
I really don't know what direction to go. I mean, I, I'm, I'm absolutely sweating bullets about it. I hope Logan Webb shows up. But I mean, you, Logan Webb's a journeyman. You look around the Giants team. I mean, it's a bunch of journeymen. Yeah, you've got Brandon Crawford and Buster Posey and Brandon Belt, who's hurt guys who have been there, who've kind of bought in in their mid thirties and having their best seasons. But you're also looking at Lamont Wade, who got, got the twins got rid of him. Cause he was a, you know, he was basically a nobody. And now he's, we've had such a magical season. It's been so exciting to watch. Obviously nobody thought we were going to do anything, but now here we are with a chance to actually go to really, you know, go to the NLCS. I'm, I'm not going to say the Braves don't have a chance against either one of these teams. Cause the Braves are a good team, but this really does feel like a freeway into the world series. And I just, the way the giants have been hitting, which is, or I should say lack of hitting uh, it's, it's extremely concerning. So I, unless we get three, four runs and Logan Webb throws another gem, we're in big, big trouble, but I do hope the giants get it done. I guess we'll see tonight, but let's hop over to the ALCS. Obviously that one is set Boston Red Sox. Uh, wow. Is all I can say. I mean, that it, talk about getting hot at the right time. You want one or two guys that the entire lineup has gotten hot at the right time. Kike, JD Martinez, Bogarts, everybody is absolutely raking. And then of course the Houston trash bags, um, you know, they do it five straight ALCS for Houston, which say what you want about whether they cheat or not. I mean, they are the preeminent franchise so far in the, in the AL over the last five years. So look, Houston's a, probably the favorite on paper, but I don't think you can discount Boston, especially what they did to the Rays. I, they absolutely dominated the Rays in four games. Yeah. And you know, what's so weird about Boston is it feels like this year, 2018, 2013, they just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, it wasn't like the season before, I guess in 2017, they made the playoffs, but I don't think anyone was looking at 2018, them, them coming in and having such a dominant run. It seems like Boston just finds a way to keep reloading every every handful of years. And it just, you know, then they go win their World Series and the next season they'll drop off. So maybe that's a sign of things to come. So I think there's history on their side. Like you mentioned, they just completely dismantled the Rays, who on our last show, we I think we both picked to win the American League. Yep. There wasn't really too much, you know, debate about it. And obviously they're a proven commodity as well, having been the best team last year. So yeah, I don't think you can take Boston lightly. And then obviously, like you said, the Astros have been to the ALCS five years in a row two World Series appearances, one World Series championship, and a couple of national home runs away from winning their second um, in 2019. So that's also a proven playoff team. It really feels like these are the two kind of, you know, unstoppable forces coming together for the ALCS. And then I think whoever does win is going to give, whether it's the Giants or the Dodgers, and I guess we have to throw the Braves in there, but I agree with you. I think they're just kind of the next stop for whoever wins that series. Um, and I think it's going to be a fun World Series. Um, but, you know, I think no matter what, you know, the Astros and Red Sox have history together. The Red Sox and Giants and our Dodgers have history together. Obviously, the Dodgers and Astros have history together. I think we're really headed towards a fun World Series. I think there's going to be on-field drama as well as stuff off the field. So I'm excited. Yeah, there's definitely some cool storylines there. There's no doubt. And I guess I kind of slightly disagree with you on Boston. I don't think they really snuck up on anyone. I mean, when I was looking at that lineup, and obviously Chris Sale, you know, kind of coming back uh, off that injury, and he's pitched well. I mean, you look at that lineup, they, they were, they're, they're incredible. I mean, they're basically the Dodgers of the AL, like up and down the lineup, one through nine, you got guys who can rake. And it was really more of, they stumbled in September. Uh, I mean, they were, they were there, you know, looked at the, the standings in August and Boston was right there at the top, nipping it, nipping at the heels of the Rays. And then they had a terrible September and it was almost, and they had to claw just to get back in, into the wild card picture. Right. But, you know, and I mean, COVID had certainly had a lot to do with it. They had COVID outbreaks, you know, the Yankees did too, some other teams as well, but Boston kind of fizzled when teams who make the playoffs get, get hot, like St. Louis did, right. The 17 game win streak. 
Boston was great all the way up until September. And then they, they almost lost their footing, but now here they are. It seems like they've regained whatever magic they had early on in the season. And I do think that they have the bats that can hang with Houston. I mean, you want to talk about Carlos Correa's swan song. He's probably gone after this year. Houston can obviously do it up and down the lineup as well, but look, I'm going to take Boston in the series. I just think they are again, getting hot at the right time and getting hot up and down the lineup. That just, there's no easy out in that lineup. And with what Kike Hernandez is doing, um, I absolutely, I can also say I absolutely love seeing former Dodgers just doing so well for other teams like Kike Hernandez. That's just, that's one of my favorite things. Alex Verdugo. I mean, God, Jock Peterson for the Braves. It's just my favorite thing. I love seeing former Dodgers do good things elsewhere. Yeah. When I meant snuck up on people, I meant not in the coming to the playoffs. I meant the season, you know, I think they were over under 80 wins, similar to the giants. You know, no one was picking them as a team that was going to be in the championship series at the end of the year. So yeah, it was really I mean. the Rays and Yankees yeah. and everybody else in that division seemed like to begin the season. Exactly. Yeah. So you have going in, I mean, they were competitive all season. So to be like, what are they doing in the playoffs is short-sighted. I just meant going into the year, it feels like, especially 2013 as well. And in 2018, they over exceeded what was the preseason expectation. Sure. Well, you know, like Farva, you did not specify. So I, I, I had to take your, your word, Andrew. Uh, all right, look, let's just, let's wrap this thing up. Who, based off who we have left, obviously, right? There are five teams left, four after tonight. Who's your World Series matchup now? Dodgers Astros. God, I'm telling you, it's, it. it's, it's going to be the perfect Close. thing for the MLB. And if there's some, some intervention from the league side, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, that would be interesting. And you're certainly doing your best to work your way off of this podcast, picking against mine and Seamus's team. So nice job on that, Andrew. But we'll, uh, we're going to hop over to our interview with Kat Biancardi, and then we'll talk some NFL, college football, and we'll wrap it up with our dudes and duds. We will be right back. Our guest today is a proud Texas Longhorn alum. She's done just about everything in sports broadcasting, from working behind the camera to doing color commentary and sideline reporting for the Longhorn Network, Flow Sports, and Bleach Report. She's a real Swiss Army knife people. Now she's a digital host and reporter for the Queen Sports Network at Queens University in Charlotte. It's a longtime friend of the show, Katarina Biancardi. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks, guys, for having me. Seriously, it's, a, it's an honor to be on this podcast. Well, it's an honor to have you, and I apologize for the Katarina. Andrew wrote our, uh, our, our intro this morning, so you know I'm sure you guys have a, a nice rapport. So as somebody who doesn't know you, I, I feel like I can call you Katarina. Is that okay? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Kat, Katarina, you, you, they used to meow at me back in the day. Oh, boy. School, I'm sure so, that was you know, fun. <laughs> you have no idea. Well, let's get right into it. Obviously, as a, as a UT alum, I mean, the Red River Showdown game, it was an instant classic last week. Uh, look, me personally, I was at a wedding. I was wine tasting. I watched the first half, and I actually felt okay missing the second half because I said, this ball game's over. The Longhorns are going to win this. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's history. But, of course, the 21-point deficit, OU came back after benching QB, starting QB Spencer Rattler for backup Caleb Williams. Look, despite the end result, obviously, it leaves a bad taste in all UT fans' mouths. But do you have any positive takeaways from this game as a Texas fan? Oh, absolutely. And ESPN actually just recently put out their uh, midseason awards, which actually gave out coach of the, the Home Depot coach. And I was actually surprised when I saw that Stark got it um, because it was like, like, maybe, yeah. But then I understood what they were saying is because of the fact that his play calling abilities are so creative. And that was one thing that Kurt Hurt Street mentioned on the broadcast was after that initial um, opening drive play where we scored it, where, excuse me, where Texas scored a touchdown. Um, Lincoln Riley, you know, combated with also another creative play and saying like, Hey, like 
this is going to be fun play callers. And, um, what's also really cool is that, you know, Stark is not um, a stranger to play calling. I mean, if you're play calling for Nick Saban at Alabama, you got to feel pretty confident in what you're going to do. Um, and that's one thing that I think the positive is, is that this Texas offense is still good. And it's also something that despite being inheriting young players, I mean, you're inheriting like a quarterback who really only played because Sam Ellinger got hurt in the Alma Bowl and had to earn his spot back after Hudson Card, you know, had their initial start. You can see how there is super intensity and focus on executing this offense. So I think that's a huge positive. On top of that, Bijan Robinson, I, I mean, guys, like literally, he is so dominant. If he doesn't win the Dote Walker Award, I mean, it must be that because of the fact that he doesn't run any more yards because he is just so explosive and he is, yeah, absolutely special. And I think that in terms of uh, positives, it's positive because of the fact that Texas isn't going anywhere with Stark. It's looking good. Yeah, it's looking good. And hey, you know what? He's, it's his first year. You're not going to turn it all around at once. And even though OU won, I'm sure you're taking some great solace in what's going on in Norman right now with the Discord, with the quarterback competition. We mentioned Spencer Rattler getting you know traded in for Caleb Williams. And it's really been a controversial week down there where an OU student reporter apparently was investigating the controversy and it led to Lincoln Riley banning all the media access. So yes. considering your background as a student reporter, you have to be one, proud of that reporter's work. And then yeah. too proud as a TU or a UT grad that there's some Ooh, things TU, going on. Oh, TU, Andrew, that yeah, hurt. I know. Ooh. Ooh, that hurt. That sounded <laughs> like you were a part of that um, that's that area and, and that stinky area called College Station because um, that's what they like to call us is TU. Um, okay, yep. Uh -huh. Anyways, what do you think of, go of what's going on in Norman? What do you think is going on with that quarterback discord? Well, anytime you have a guy who is a preseason Heisman contender, and you have to, tr his, first of all, his fan base is booing him and calling for the backup to come out. It's not going to look good. College Game Day did a really nice job of putting a piece together about, hey, how are you going to respond to that? Have your fans ever booed you? And Rattler was like, no. And I'm thinking to myself, mm, somebody decided not to have their ears cleaned out that day. Regardless, putting in the backup was absolutely the better idea. And I think that because of how, um, if you think about like Friday Night Lights, I know this is so like cliche, but Friday Night Lights, if you throw back to that TV series, when Matt Saracen got, you know, and JD McCoy had to go in, that's kind of what's going on in that situation. And at this point, I believe that, um, you know, he's just a better quarterback option. And I think that I, I admire that reporter though. I think that's, that, that was very brave and daring because I will tell you right this right now that there was no way that a student reporter would ever be at a Texas uh, practice like unless they had super duper special privilege. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And look, I want to do one more sort of topic on Texas AU, OU because yeah, obviously the, the storyline that kicked off the season that's got everybody's ears, Texas, Oklahoma, moving to the SEC in 2025. I've got two questions for you on that front. One, as somebody who's a UT grad and you're ingrained in that Longhorn fan base, what's sort of the general predominant prevailing feeling over moving to the sec and also how do you sort of expect those first couple of years to go moving from an objectively weaker big 12 to the sec the actual performance aspects of both teams well as a girl that uh, excuse me as a woman that bleeds burnt orange i <laughs> am absolutely 
so proud of this power move done by Texas. And the reason why I say that is because if you look, um, there was a video that came out that depicted, you know, Texas, you know, you joining the SEC, which was the American hustle with um, Bradley Cooper about how, you know, he's walking in, he's like, oh, owning the whole thing. And then there's AM in the corner, just like super duper upset. And I think that's a great example because a visual example, at least, because Texas would rather lose to the best than be somewhere in that mediocre category of big in that big 12. Um, and I think that absolutely is something that, um, I mean, I think you guys have to understand and zoom out a little bit. I've never heard another state have issues with a program leaving its conference and going to another conference in which it had to get the state legislator and the state government involved. But you know what? This move by Texas sure enough did. And one of the legislators was a actual TCU grad. And she goes, you know, what's your budget? She asked the president and he said, you know, 200, whatever millions, whatever it is. And then she goes, and you still have that, you know, record to TCU, which at the time prior to Stark, you know, winning against, uh, against TCU this past season was bad. Okay. That being said, you know, I think this move by um, the president and the athletic director CDC was incredible. And I think there's nothing you have to worry about whatsoever. And if anything, guess what? They're going to stink for the best of the best. Exactly. That's, that's, a, that's a great mindset to have. And hey, so we've, we've talked about your time at UT. Look, I got it right. I can change. I can do better. Um, but let's, let's focus shift to your, your broadcasting endeavors. You know, you've only been out of school for a few years, but you've already accomplished so much. Can you tell us a little bit about one, what inspired you to get into this, this industry, sports journalism, and, and then some of the projects you've worked on thus far? Absolutely. And Andrew, you're making me feel so youthful. Um, even though we graduated the same year, I like that. Um, Are you saying I'm old? <laughs> no, I just am saying that it feels good that we're still youthful. You know, I just turned 25. So I think to myself, oh, you know, um, and that's actually one of the funny things is that, you know, when you're, you enter college and you go through your college, even all the way up to the point where you're a graduate, you think to yourself, your life's going to go one way. Right. Um, and here I am now at 25. And I will tell you that I never would have expected me to be here in Charlotte with my parents working at uh, Queens University ever in my life, but I am so thankful for it. And I think when you rewind back to, you know, my college um, years and how I actually got into journalism, I'm very thankful that I grew up with um, two division one college coaches as parents. I don't know many people that have both parents being division one, but I, I did. Um, and at, that was at Boston college where my mother was, I have to say give a little shout out to my mom that the women's, she was the women's head soccer coach at Boston College. And then my dad at the time was the GA at Boston College men's basketball. So I like to say that he married up, okay? And that being said, he eventually, you know, worked his way up and he eventually became, you know, assistant and then he associate head coach at BC. Yeah, okay. yeah, he did all right. But, <laughs> you know, I think that's one of the reasons why I am the way that I am is because I had got to experience at an early age ineffable moments that were unique to sports. And- I think that um, being able to finally see my dad take his career shift from going from, uh, you know, being a coach to taking on this whole TV industry full time was the kind of insight that goes, wait, there's a whole nother like 
thing. It's not just coaching. It's not just athletes. Like there's TV part of it. And I remember in eighth grade, we had a uh, opportunity to be able to take a career day or a job, whatever. Um, and I actually got to go to the studio with my father and saw him do one of his, uh, excuse me, second um, ESPN signing day shows for college basketball. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this is like so stinking cool. And then also later that year, I also got to see Aaron Andrews right in front of me when uh, Duke was competing. I think it was Duke and Georgia Tech was competing for a uh, ACC title. And I remember her smiling at us and we weren't even like, we were kind of, you know, down a little bit. We weren't on the floor or anything. And I remember her smiling at us. And I think to myself, oh my gosh, that's Erin Andrews smiling at us. Oh my gosh. And this must've been a long, I mean, this now sounds like, feels like a long time ago now that Erin Andrews now is with Fox and she's already did Dance with the Stars thing. But I remember thinking to myself, I saw her with that microphone and just the class that she uh, had and the way that she carried herself. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what I want to do. And since then, I mean, Andrew can remember probably since I, we knew each other for, no, excuse me, known each other from high school that I've always talked about, you know, being a sideline reporter, being on, you know, ESPN and so on and so forth. And so being able to have that opportunity of being able to see something from a whole different perspective was so vital of me at a young age, knowing that there's something else besides, you know, just playing sports. So often athletes just find themselves, oh, if you get hurt, whatever, I hate sports, but you're actually being able to see that there's a whole other field, which is the media side. And I'm so grateful that um, my father's like position in uh, his career was one of the reasons why I am able to love sports and pursue this degree, excuse me, pursue this career in broadcasting as I am. Yeah, well, you mentioned your dad, Paul Biancardi, who, of course, I mean, everybody knows who he is if they're on the college basketball scene. Well, I, I certainly do. He's a, he's a big-time voice. And you also mentioned Aaron Andrews, right? I mean, there are obviously some incredible, incredible women in this industry. I mean, I'm off the top of my head. Maria Taylor, Malika Andrews, Cassidy Hubbard, Rachel Nichols. The list goes on. But you've obviously accomplished a lot already in your young career. I'm just curious. Look, let's just be real, right? Sports and sports industry and sports media has long been, it's a, it's a boys club, right? It's a, it's a man's Without game. Without a doubt. Yep. How do you kind of, how, how have you kind of handled that transition sort of helped you not only differentiate from your dad, right? Because you're somebody you're working on your own path, but also mm-hmm. kind of carving out a career for yourself as a woman in, in, in a man's world for a lack of a better term. Absolutely. And, and that is without a doubt true. I appreciate you recognizing that it is a man's world. It's a boys club. It's a good old boys club. And I hate to say this, um, and Andrew will probably like make fun of me about this, but from high school days, but I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. Okay. And her song, the man is a very good example of how a woman has to operate in a sports dominated world because it's, you know, I'm having to run as fast as I can just because, you know, if, but if I was a man, it'd be easier. And it's funny because I often talk to other guys in sports journalism and they go, Oh, it's so much, must be so easy to, to be a girl. And I go, what do you mean? And they go, well, you know, people want to hire girls more because uh, females are a minority. And I think to myself, okay, maybe that's true. But do you know how much harder females have to not prove themselves? Because I think that's something that is a negative thing to have to prove yourself, but have to work harder to show and just demonstrate that they are capable of having an exact same position as a man. 
I can't tell you how many times I have been in job interviews and also job interviews that just talk to people in sports that says, you know, we're looking to hire more than a pretty face. And I remember one job interview, I responded, well, it's a good thing I can do it all. And later, uh, like right immediately after I write thank you notes to any job interview that I have, and I remember putting in the PS, can't wait to let, can't wait to show you I'm more than a pretty face, smiley face. Um, regardless if I, you know, took that job or not, that type of sexism is without a doubt, like just surrounded. And it's a culture that's been developed, like literally since the back in the day, like, I mean, probably since Adam and Eve, because Eve, you know, had the apple and, you know, scarlet letter and all that jazz, where you find yourself as a woman having to think about things that a man doesn't have to have to think about, right? So you're having to think about as a woman, okay, what am I going to wear? Am I going to have to bend down? Am I going to have to, you know, uh, know certain things? Am I going to, who am I going to have to interact with, right? Because if you're not thinking about these things in whatever role in sports, whether it be you're totally on camera or potentially in the positions that I've had uh, with the, the spring league, for example, uh, which is a developmental professional football league, I was doing everything, meaning I bought my own equipment. I did everything on my iPhone and these pieces that I worked on was sent out to 40,000 over almost, almost 40,000 followers on Instagram and YouTube and Twitter. That being said, I had to think about, okay, if I'm having to film practice, shoot a stand up interview players and do it all, I have to think about all these things that I have to recognize. Okay. If you're bending down, you have to think about what you wear. I don't, I don't, what you wear as a female. I don't think that it, for men, obviously we all care about how we look like we want to, you know, pr present our, our best self. But I think women more often than not, when I say more often than not, I'm saying probably about 90% of women think about okay, what am I going to wear? How am I going to look? How am I going to be able to carry myself, but also execute doing my job of whatever that entails in such a way that is going to be able to make me successful and not put me behind. On top of that, I had a, um, what's funny is that I actually gave Andrew a hard time uh, prior to this podcast about how in high school that he was one of the few guys who really was passionate about sports, but never actually played a sport in high school but I always appreciated how passionate he was. And that being said, that's kind of like the group of guys that I was with in college in terms of our school TV station. And those guys would literally come at my, I mean, they were Andrew Schuster and his little group of friends, like freshman, sophomore year. So, I mean, pretty immature. I'm thinking to myself, the Schuster these guys? I, can only I know, imagine. right. I, I think to myself, okay, how are any of these guys now in college? They must not like get any dates. My goodness. Um, because they're so concerned about all these sports stuff that I'm just a person that they're just now meeting and they're like down my throat um, about how, if I don't know one thing, you know, blam, you're like, you're written off. And I think that's another thing about being a woman is that you have to know just as much about your subject, whether you be, whether you're on camera or you're behind the scenes. And on top of that, you have to know as a woman, like I mentioned about being on behind the scenes, how uh, the production goes and you need to be just as knowledgeable, but without being a know-it-all, because I think that often with both genders, male and female, people can be annoying, right? Uh, people can be annoying. People want to, uh, you know, get as much information as they can. People want to constantly network. Well, I personally like the word connect 
because whenever I meet somebody, I always try to find one thing that, you know, stands out about them that outside of something in the industry, right? And so when you're going through those motions, you have to think about how you can be genuine and authentic through that process of doing whatever it is you're doing, whether it be on camera or it be behind the scenes and how you can honestly connect with that person and think to yourself, okay, how am I going to be able to still do what I have to do and execute my job while also recognizing that I have to think about this other person and be actually mindful of them because I can't even tell you. And, and when I say like, you, I know y'all mentioned some big names like Maria Taylor. She's an example of someone who's a family friend who I had the, the privilege of being able to shadow her and see the job that she did while she was at ESPN. And, and along with that, Jenny Taff, I'll never forget. She has, was one of the nicest people to me and was an example of how to carry herself as a woman in sports between the way that she dressed, the way that she carried herself. And Jenny Taff is one of the top dogs at Fox. Uh, she is incredible. And to be able to see her just be so kind to me, I think also recognizes, I mean, excuse me, also says a lot about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves to be kind, but not to be, uh, you want to be kind, but you don't want to have to be someone that can be easily taken advantage of. And I think that as a woman, often you find yourself having to be able to be like, okay, how am I supposed to be? And if anything, I think the best way to be is unapologetic, which is a really great example of that is um, Casey Smith with Barstools. Uh, I think she's someone who is totally unapologetic and just totally is someone that women should, okay, if you want to do Barstools, that's great. But if you want to be totally, you know, more business and carry yourself a certain way, then you can be that other way. I think that as a woman, you have to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? Who am I going to be? Who I am I? And how am I going to continue to take jobs and opportunities so I can continue to be who I want to become? Because I will tell you that as a woman, it is a lot harder to come back from something compared to a man. I mean, I just, I think that, it, I mean, that's my personal opinion. Um, but so that being said, if you want to go and be all barstools, go be all barstools. But if you want to be a woman who is someone who has to want to be on the sidelines and you want to be in that professional setting and you want to be on sports center, then you have to set up yourself for that. I think that it's all about as a woman owning who you are, uh, what values that you have to bring, um, excuse me, what value you have to bring to your audience and just truly owning whatever subject you're covering unapologetically. Yeah, I love it. And you, you, you referenced Taylor Swift. I thought maybe you were going to go with shake it off because I think that also applies. But uh, well, that's, 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 what, that's what Texas um, football, <laughs> honestly. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention was that I think, you know, what's so wonderful about Texas is that, and Matthew McConaughey said something like this, that fan, other programs and fans like to hate more, hate, like to hate Texas more than they like them or love themselves. I mean, that's why the horns down gesture at first, when it first came out, I thought, what little dirt bags. But then I recognized, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a compliment. Thank you. And I think that's one of the things where you can just totally shake it off. Um, and that's one of the reasons why Taylor Swift is so successful. There you go. They can't cut you down if you're not already on the pedestal to begin with. But Kat, I hate to do this. We are out of time, but I got to say, this was one of my favorite interviews of all time because anybody who can cut Andrew down a peg or two, that is, you're all right with me. And I absolutely loved it. Also want to make sure to give you a shout out on Twitter. You guys can follow her at K-E-B-N-Cardi or on Instagram at Katarina underscore Elise.
Kat, thank you so much for being with us. This was a blast. We really appreciate it. We'll have you on again soon for sure. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, we are back. Our special thanks again to Kat Biancardi. That was a great interview. Make sure to check her out on Twitter at KEBiancardi or Instagram at Katarina underscore Elise. And Andrew, I got to say, it was refreshing to have a guest on, finally, who knows a little bit about my boy, Andrew Schuster, and what a shyster you can be. Yeah, and the crappy thing is we're recording this. She's throwing me under the bus. As soon as we get off, nothing but nice things to say. Could not have been just like, I love this guy. He's the best. He's the GOAT. And none of it was captured. So you guys, it's like, you know, show the receipts. We don't have any. <laughs> yeah, if, if it's not on air, it didn't happen. But to be fair, Andrew, if she said anything nice to you on air, I was going to make you edit it out anyway. So, and you know, it's neither here nor there. I would expect nothing less. Yeah. Well, it's a good lead in to a little college football. Obviously, we talked OU Texas, covered that one at length. Uh, again, our thanks to Kat for that. But let's do some quick week six highlights. Obviously, Alabama goes down to unranked AM on that last second field goal. That was awesome. Uh, Iowa tops Penn State in an awesome, awesome top five game. Uh, I don't know if, I mean, that, those look like the two best teams in the Big Ten to me. I'm not sure, you know, what Ohio State's doing, but we'll see. Ole Miss over Arkansas, offensive thriller. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Andrew, what's just your overall biggest takeaway from week six? Well, I think my biggest takeaway was that the Big Ten might have two teams in the college football playoff. Because, you know, the other thing, too, is like Ohio State had that early season loss to Oregon, but they're going to play Penn State again. And obviously yep. they have the name recognition that if they go down the end of the season and really prove like that, that was a blimp on our record. It's not indicative of how we're playing right now. And then, you know, you're going to like there's three potential teams in the Big Ten that could be in the, in the college football playoff. Then the other big takeaway, and it's kind of a I don't want to give too much weight. We're going to be the next topic is that the Kentucky Georgia game could also be huge this week you know, Kentucky, who would have thought number 11 could be game of the week, you know, winner goes on, goes on to be the SEC East favorite. So that was a big takeaway. And then, yeah, just a lot of really awesome games this weekend. We talked about Texas, Oklahoma. That was exciting. Arkansas Ole Miss was just an offensive. There was no defense played. It seemed except on that two point conversion in the game, just a fun week. I, I think it was like, I was listening to the radio this week. Someone said that was a top eight week of college football in terms of excitement in like the last 30 years. So just a fun weekend overall. Yeah, well, I don't know where you come come in and like top eight, like how you figure that out, but it was a it was a great week. And I mean, college football is the best, anyways. And when you get game after game after game that that has a lot of you know meaningful outcomes and close games, that that's what you want. I'm happy for the Big Ten, right? I mean, the last ten years, it's basically Ohio State and everybody else. Once in a while, Wisconsin will sneak in there and then get blasted in the in the Big Ten championship game. So. Seeing Iowa and that what that defense is doing is pretty incredible. You, you said at Penn State, they're going to have a big dance with uh, with Ohio State in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. I I still don't see them getting two teams in. I just don't think they have enough cloud across sort of the landscape. But, hey, man, uh, they're, they're going to make it interesting, and they're going to push the SEC to, to have one of those conferences have two teams in. But, look, we mentioned defense. You did you mentioned the Kentucky-Georgia game. That is, that's the big one coming up. Um, obviously, week seven, that's, that's what everybody's looking at. Look – Kentucky's a great story. Um, what they did to Florida, that was a big win. I absolutely love their kooky quarterback, Will Levis. The dude, like, is, is an absolute star. He's, you know, on Instagram eating bananas whole, saying that his dream is to be a stay-at-home husband with a, a wife who's making 100K. I mean, the guy's got, a you know, a little, little something to him, and I, I, he's playing well. He's backing it up. Um, so I like that. I just – I think Georgia's – by far the best team in the country. I mean, that defense through six games has allowed two touchdowns. And I'm pretty sure both touchdowns were in garbage time. 
by their second team defense. I don't even know if their first team defense given up a touchdown all year. I guess the difference between what we were talking about with Georgia, Arkansas last week is at least Kentucky gets them at home, but I don't know if I see this being anything even closer than what Arkansas was. I, I hope, I hope it is because I want to watch the game, but uh, Georgia is really just that good. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's, they're ranked 11, but because they've beaten who they've played so far and they haven't played a team like Georgia, it's, you know, the Georgia defense is legit. It's no joke. And defense wins you championships. I know it's the old cliche, but it really does matter. And their offense is definitely doing enough to keep, you know, they blew up Vanderbilt by 62. They beat Arkansas 37, nothing. The, they passed the eye test. They've been in the playoff before we, you know, they're one of the handful of programs that's going to get the benefit of the doubt, but Hey, Kentucky has the opportunity, you know, it's not like there's a, a team in a non-power conference where it's they're undefeated, but they haven't played anybody. If they beat Georgia, it's legit. And so, you know, you ask for these opportunities and you just have to take advantage of them if you're Kentucky. Yeah. Hey man, that's in her, in the words of Herm Edwards, that's why you play the game. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, I love college football and I love sort of this, like this middle part of the season, right? Because you do, you have some teams like Kentucky who's had, I guess, a favorable schedule. Yes, they played Florida, but you know, they're six and oh, I mean, you look, look down the rankings, you got Oklahoma state at 12 at five and oh, Michigan state six and oh at number 10, wake Forest six and oh at 16 feels like that, you know, these weeks, like five through eight, you get these teams that you're like, Oh, interesting. Are they going to be good? Are they six and oh, seven and oh, eight and oh. And then those teams finish eight and four, nine and three, and, you know, yeah. once they start getting into conference play and playing the real deal. So, you know, I don't put a whole lot of weight on the rankings just yet, but I do think Kentucky's an interesting team and I would love to see them at least put up a fight against Georgia, but that defense is, is a little bit unfair. Uh, so a couple of those other teams that we mentioned looking ahead to some of the big games this week, Michigan States at Indiana. Uh, look, we talked about big 10, right? Iowa, Penn state, Ohio state, Michigan state undefeated. They got a Heisman candidate and running and running back. I mean, are, are they for real? I mean, I don't know, but it, it kind of goes back to what you're saying. The big 10 Michigan is also in the top 10 right now. They're yeah. off this week. Yeah. It's they have, they have five teams in that, that like top 10 ranking. And I think the ACC is down this year. I think the PAC 12 took a huge hit when Oregon lost. Yeah. So like, yeah. And then obviously the big 12 could get a team in if Oklahoma stays undefeated. But I think too, like the big 10 just could have two teams by default just because it's really been a down year. There's so much parity and it doesn't seem like each conference just has a juggernaut that is destined for the college football playoffs. So you could see a scenario where it's two big 10 teams and two SEC, SEC yeah, teams. I, you're right, man. I, I think those are two clearly the best, best conferences. Yeah. Oregon basically killed the back, the PAC 12 chances. Uh, I mean, you look at the ACC, <clears throat> excuse me, the best two teams might be NC state and wake forest. Uh, NC State has they're at Boston College this week they obviously beat Clemson earlier in the season Boston College is a, a chippy little team they're they're a good team they're not a they're not somebody you're going to go in and steamroll so that's interesting but if NC State beats Boston College this week and Wake Forest gets a win I mean are we, we're looking at the ACC with NC State and Wake Forest as sort of their pillars and where they're planting the flag so yeah I mean that would be a weird scenario but I guess yeah. I wouldn't be as surprised if you see two big 10 teams, two sec teams, and then just fight it out for conference supremacy. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's, I hate to say it. We still may be headed towards a Georgia Alabama national championship, which yeah. if those are the two best teams, the two best teams, and that's what you want to see. So, yeah. But like, I, I was listening to someone this week and he said, you know, this would have been the perfect year to have the 12 team playoff. Because yeah. I feel like a lot of years we're going to get times where it's clear there's four teams that are better than the rest but we're still going through the motions of a 12 team pay playoff this year. There really would be chaos if 12 teams got the chance to fight it out. So 
it would you know, be. It's, it's just kind of wetting our taste for what could be coming down the line in the future. Yeah, it would be fun. And, you know, as soon as they roll out the 12-team playoff, there's only going to be, like, one or two decent teams, yeah. like you said. But, look, I mean, that's that's the fun of it. I, I like that there's a little bit more parity in college football these days. I mean, certainly not what it is across, like, college basketball. Um, but, you know, it, it, it would be nice to see – 10, 12 teams, as much as I love the blue bloods, right. That's the, that's what gets you excited. I'd love to see some teams, you know, make some noise that not everybody's talking about. So yeah, I guess we'll see. The last thing I'll say about this, you know, wrap this up. Number two, Iowa hosting Purdue. I'll say nothing more than that's a trap game. So be careful boys. All right, let's move over to NFL. Obviously the storyline that is dominating this week kind of just came out of nowhere. John Gruden stepping down, resigning as the head coach of the uh, Oakland, the Las Vegas Raiders. A um, bunch of emails came out, you know, misogynistic, homophobic, racist, you name it. Uh, it's, it's out there. Obviously, there's going to be some more news here in the coming weeks. Probably some, some actual emails are going to be leaked. Um, it's not good, Andrew. It's, it's, a, it's a really bad look, especially for a team like the Raiders who, you know, moving from Oakland to Vegas, they've got this brand new stadium. They started out 3-0, and but it's just, it's, it's so Raiders it hurts. Yeah, and what's, what's awful, I mean, we, we joke a lot on this podcast, but like, there's no other way to describe everything that's been going on is just shameful and embarrassing. And what's really horrible is like, we can we can sit there and say shame on, Jam- on John Gruden. He definitely deserves to never work in the NFL again, but you know, this is not an isolated incident. And this was, for those that aren't are listening and don't know, this was uncovered during an investigation into what was the formerly the Washington Redskins, which for years have been known as a defunctional franchise that's you know, fostered a culture of abuse under Dan Snyder, who literally was kind of de facto forced out of running his own team. His wife is now the president and obviously the operating chairman. It's, you know, the, the emails he was in uh, the discussion with was the former president of the Washington football team. You know, there's naked pictures of the, of the cheerleaders, them talking in openly homophobic, misogynistic. And so a lot of discussion this week has been, if these are some of the emails, there's 650,000 emails that they're coming through this can't be the only incident of this happening. And so I think the NFL is, is pretty much like, I really hope this is all that surfaces, but this is clearly going to, I think, lead to some, some bad things of more stuff, you know, surfacing from some of the, the people you hate to see it from, which is owners, team presidents, where it's really true that it's, it's a culture of what's going on in the NFL and not one or two bad apples. And so it's, I think we all kind of know this stuff happens. Obviously it's, it's a boys club. It's a bunch of, you know, wealthy white men who, you know, kind of do this stuff behind closed doors, but now it's coming to the surface. And a lot of the stuff that was going on last year, I think was pretty empty gestures. And it's just really tough to, to kind of know that this might be surfacing and we're going to have to, you know, have this discussion again. Um, how much has really changed in the NFL? Yeah, it's, it's ugly. It's, it's bad. It's embarrassing. It's such a black eye on the NFL. Um, and, you know, and obviously the, the Washington football organization, Washington football team, um, the Raiders, John Gruden, I guess my two takeaways, you know, for, first and foremost, uh, I got to commend some of the coaches who've come out, um, you know, Staley from, uh, from the Chargers had, had a really, really good words. I think my, uh, Shanahan from the Niners said, you know, he, he had some good, good words where it's, look, man, you're accountable for everything you say. It doesn't matter if it was 10, 12 years ago, you know, the Gruden, this is not one of those things where, you know, a, a high profile football recruit gets plastered for something that he said when he was like 14 on Twitter. Right. I mean, that's a li- it's not as excusable, right. It's um, you still don't want to do that, but Gruden was a, was a grown ass man when he said this stuff. Um, and, you know, he was talking to other grown ass men, I guess two things that I take away from this one, 
I can't believe it took this long for it to come out. I mean, if this has been almost a decade of, of this kind of stuff um, and, you know, in this era of information sharing and technology and everybody can kind of get access to whatever they want, I'm shocked it took this long. Uh, at least it did come out. And secondarily, you kind of hit on it, right? 650,000 plus emails. There's going to be more to come. There's going to be some bombshells dropped. There's going to be probably some guys that you would never expect who are going to get pulled into this. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to get a hell of a lot worse before it gets any better. Uh, well, let's move on to maybe, maybe the one guy who's happier than anyone in the NFL that this is happening is Urban Meyer, because it's taking the focus away from all of the shit that Urban Meyer has been doing. I mean, I, he's got to be the happiest guy on earth right now. I know it's, it's absolutely insane. When you think about it five years ago, could you have predicted that John Gruden was going to get caught in this scandal and Urban Meyer was going to get caught in his scandal within a week and a half period? And just two guys who've been like kind of coaching stalwarts the last 20 years are now just laughing stocks. Um, and it came out this week that well before uh, all the videos of him at his steakhouse in Columbus, you know, the, the Jaguars never respected him. And it's just, it's, it just, the more and more you hear about it, the more it's just, I cannot believe this is reality. Um, and, you know, for those of you that don't know, last week it surfaced that Urban Meyer didn't fly home with the team after their Thursday night loss against the Bengals. Cincinnati's very close to Columbus, where he obviously was the head coach at Ohio State for a long time. So he stayed back, uh, was visiting with family, air quotes, and was caught uh, on video kind of having this young co-ed dancing on him. And he claimed that he was just kind of letting her dance on him. But you can tell he'd had a few too many whiskeys that night and was not exactly saying no to the attention. And it's just like you said, it's, it's embarrassing. It's funny. And of all the times to have it happen, this John Gruden stuff is definitely taking the spotlight off of him. And yeah, what a just odd moment to, for two of the teams in the NFL to be going through this right now. It's just, it's yeah, that, that was probably my favorite part of the whole thing where Urban Meyer, you know, was, he was, he was on his walk it back to her, right? Like, oh, you know, these, these women were trying to talk to me and I was trying to pull away. And then under further review, there's another video where he's basically got his little, uh, his finger at, where the sun don't shine and, the, and that, that young lady's behind. So um, there's always probably more information out there. We said at the technology age, information sharing age, there's going to be people with phones at every angle. So unless you know that there's no one else with a phone of a different angle, you better not say that you didn't do anything wrong. So that's a bad look for Urban on top of a lot of other bad looks. How does this end for him? I mean, did they just play out the string with him? I don't even know how long his contract is, but I mean, I don't, he's certainly not going to survive that, especially if the Jaguars just don't win any games, but I mean, do they find a way to fire him mid season so we can go to USC or, I mean, not the USC would even want him in this, but they probably would because they're terrible. Uh, like how does, how does this end for, for urban Meyer in Jacksonville? Well, to answer your question, I think he has five years on his contract. So five. four more after this, and it's oh, a pretty boy. considerable sum. Um, it's not the 10 years, hundred million that John Gruden had, but I think the Jaguars, I, are trying to fire him. I think it's, they want to fire him with cause. So they don't have to pay the $40 million. You know, uh, I think it's pretty clear that he's not the coach. that's going to turn this team around. Like I said, that the locker room never respected him. This was not the first foible he's had. There was obviously the Tim Tebow nonsense. He hired the, you know, the racist strength coach that it was like, how are you aware of what's going on in this country right now that you can't hire this guy? Um, just, it's been one thing after another, you know, he was caught on camera saying to, Vic Fangio, it's like playing Alabama every single week. And it's like, did you not realize that's what the NFL was? It's just, it's, I don't think there's been one positive thing that's happened for him. And he lucked into getting Trevor Lawrence and he's just completely botched it on every regard. And 
I, I think worst case scenario, he finishes the season and then they fire him and go a different direction. But I think they're actively looking to have cause to get rid of him and not have to pay that ridiculous salary for just an absolute nonsense job he's done. Yeah, he's definitely the the NFL version of Lemony Snicket's, just a series of unfortunate events, but all, all unfortunate events that were caused by his own stupidity. Uh, but hey, let's let's move away from coaches who suck and let's actually talk about some games. Uh, yeah. Week six preview, probably my favorite game on the docket, Chargers-Ravens. Uh, we all saw what Chargers-Browns was last week, but I think this could be even better. I mean, these are probably two of, if not the two best teams in the AFC right now, obviously give some credit to the Bills, but this is going to be freaking awesome. Jackson, yeah. Lamar Jackson versus Justin Herbert. Let's get it on. I mean, I would throw Josh Allen in this mix, but this might be the two most exciting quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Yeah. And I think both defenses are good enough that like they'll put up some resistance, but we could see another 49-42 game. I read a statistic this week that the Browns were the first team in NFL history to score more than 40 points and not turn the ball over and lose the game and have over 500 yards of offense. Yeah. There's actually, so so I think, I think it was like a team has never not turned the ball over, scored more than 40 points and lost. And also a team has never had over 500 yards of offense and lost. And they did all of them. They did all of them. them. And so I think, you know, and obviously we saw the heroics Lamar Jackson's done this year in a couple of games Dude's so much fun to watch. Uh, you know, the Broncos are like, oh, we're going to play them. We're going to shut down the running game. He's like, fine, I'll just drop 300 yards on you guys in the air. It's He can do it all. He might win another MVP this year. Who knows? There's so much exciting quarterback play. We're going to get to see it on full display in this game. Yeah, he, I mean, he's awesome, man. As a fan, it's exactly the guy you want to watch. He's just electrifying every single play. You never know what's going to happen. I just worry that, you know, he's got to stop taking hits, man, because, God, he – I just I want to see him play for 10, 12 years because he's just so awesome. And hopefully those legs of his stay with him. Um, well, we mentioned the Browns. They're at the Cardinals, the undefeated Cardinals. Uh, look, I don't know if the Cardinals are for real. I mean, that defense with the addition of J.J. Watt, you got Chandler Jones doing his thing. It's it's impressive. Kyler Murray has been great. Looks like he's got a bit of a shoulder injury that he's working through. I guess we'll see. But uh, I mean, are the Cardinals the best team in the NFC, in your opinion? I still don't know if I want to pick them as the best team, but I think they're definitely a contender. I think they're clearly, there's four teams to me that stand out right now. It's Arizona, LA, Tampa Bay, and Dallas. And I guess you could throw Green Bay in there, though. I still think there, there's been some dubious things going on with the Packers this year. You know, they were a bunch of missed field goals away from losing to Cincinnati last week. So I think those other teams are kind of the, they're ahead of the the rest. And, you know, like you said, Kyler's been dealing with a shoulder issue. Obviously, Baker Mayfield as well, so that might cancel out, but you know, this is a tough test for the Cardinals and the more t- really good teams that they play and potentially beat the more we're going to like say, Oh, this is a legitimate team. And if they're six to no after beating a very good Browns team that will be three and three theoretically, but is definitely a team everyone's considering to be a playoff team. Then I think at that point we're, we're all saying this is a legit team that needs to be reckoned with in the NFC. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned the Packers. I mean, this is why I love the NFL because Packers are at the bears this weekend, a nice NFC North tussle. All the narrative about the Bears this season, I mean, it's it's been a mess, right? The offensive line is terrible. Who's going to start? Is it going to be Nick Foles? Is it going to be Andy Dalton? Is it going to be Justin Fields? I mean, the, the answer to all of us is obvious, but Matt Nagy clearly has no idea what he's doing. Can't seem to call plays. Like, they're, they're calling for him to be fired, calling for the offensive coordinator to start calling plays. And if they win this game, they are in first place in the NFC North. 
It's yeah, insane. No, it's insane too. And you, you said they were calling. He he did shift uh, play calling to them, and that's why they looked confident there you last go. week. About time. And it's insane because Matt Nagy was supposed to be hired as this offensive kind of genius, and it's been the offensive woes that have held back his team. Their defense is balling out right now. That's why they're still a team that would be in the playoffs if the season ended right now. So for him to then like give over play calling and suddenly they're better. I think even if they just seem like a team that even if they did make the playoffs this year, he's on his way out. You can just feel it. He's not the long-term guy, but going back to the storyline of the week. Yeah. If they win this week, they're atop the NFC North. And it's just insane to think about because it's, it feels like they're a, a dysfunctional team right now that should be in terms of how they're talked about one of the like bottom five teams. Yeah. In the, league. the way people talk about him, like if you just didn't watch football and you just listen to the news and sports, you know, sports pundits, I mean, you're thinking the Bears are one and four, zero oh and five. Like, there's just there's no other way around it. And here they are; they got a chance to beat. I don't think they're gonna win this game, but if they do, they're in first place, and you know it'll be nice for for a few minutes. But um, we are almost out of time, Andrew. So let's move on to our dudes and duds. Who's your dude of the week? My dude of the week. We're getting some hockey involved, kind of. Um, so my dude of the week is Charles Barkley because this week, for those of you that didn't know, the NHL started. And this year was a new partnership, a new broadcasting partnership where they moved from NBC Sports to ESPN and TNT, which obviously had done a great job with NBA over the years. And as a result, they unveiled their new coverages, their new teams that's going to be covering the games on a weekly basis. And they brought Charles Barkley onto the TNT broadcast. He's playing around with Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky's shooting penalty shots at Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley's making fun of Wayne Gretzky for losing to guys, losing fights to guys with perms. It was just entertaining. I think the NHL definitely made the right move saddling along with guys like this it's going to be kind of that inside the nba feel i feel like with a hockey twist and so for the first weekend it seems like they're doing a really good job so yeah you absolutely can't go wrong with sir chuck i don't care if it's tennis golf hockey whatever you put sir chuck on a broadcast and you're you're gonna win there's gonna be some good content there Uh, i'm gonna go hockey too for my dude it's the seattle kraken the 32nd franchise in the nhl i obviously had their first game uh at the uh, las vegas golden knights Put up, a, put up a good fight. I mean, look, greatest name in, in the sport, maybe in all the sports. They looked great, great jerseys. They, they fought hard against a really good team. They're at Nashville tonight. I'm going to call it right now. They're going to get their first W in franchise history. Book it. All right, Andrew, who's your dud? So my dud, obvi- the dud of the week, regardless if, if it's who, are, who you pick or I pick, it's, it's John Gruden, but we've already talked at length about this, so I don't want to get into it. We need to talk about the other story that's just hanging over sports right now. And that's Kyrie Irving and just everything that he's been going on. It seems the last three months, um, you know, I, I wrote in our docket, even Ben Simmons thinks what's going on with him is a clown show right now. It's just, he, for those that aren't aware, he, New York city has put in a mandate that says you have to be vaccinated in order to play home games. So he's due to miss 43 games, which would be the 41 home games in Brooklyn, the two road games against the Knicks. And basically the Nets said, if you cannot be a full participant, then you just cannot practice with us, play with us. So they're basically saying like, if you want to play this year, you have to get vaccinated. And this is not a, a, va- a pro-vax or anti-vax rant because it's not, Kyrie Irving is not like I'm anti-vax. His issue is he doesn't like that there's a mandate about it. And, you know, if he didn't have this history of kind of making every story about himself, I don't think this would be such a hot issue, but it's just his background compared with, he's basically holding the Nets at hostage right now with this, Kevin Durant and James Harden have to be furious. They're, they're the runaway favorites to win an NBA title. And now this kink in the armor emerges because this NBA superstar just has to take the contrarian position against every top topic issue and make it about himself. It's, it's nonsensical. He went on a rant yesterday on Instagram Live or Wednesday night, 
basically trying to defend his position. It was just a bunch of nonsense circles. He's talking around himself. It's just clearly an NBA superstar who has to make every single story about himself, whether it needs to be about him at all or not. And he just makes everything much more difficult. And at this point, there's so many rumors flying around. Does he even want to be an NBA superstar anymore? Which just blows my mind that that's even a potential discussion is how does this guy not enjoy being a beloved NBA superstar? But, you know, at at this point, dude, like if you don't want to be bothered by being a beloved NBA player, then quit being one. The NBA will be fine without you. Just it's, it's so tiring to hear his name come up with every storyline that emerges. It's just, I I could rant for, for days and days about how much Kyrie Irving is just such a pain in the ass for the NBA right now. And it's just, I'm, I'm getting sick of it. Yeah, it's Kyrie doing what Kyrie does. I mean, this is just kind of the guy that he is. He's a bit of a lightning rod for better or worse. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a bad look. I guess the only thing I can say, and this is, you know, kind of a, a, a hollow comment, but at least it makes the the NBA season a little bit more exciting, right? Like you, you mentioned that the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie, that they're a runaway favorite. Uh, obviously, health plays into that, but the Nets without Kyrie, I mean, they're still a fantastic team, probably still the best team in the East, but at least makes things a little bit more interesting. So, you know, whatever, do what you got to do, Kyrie, but, uh, you know, we won't miss you if you don't come back. I guess that's the only thing I can say. Uh, my do, my dud of the week, a little bit less, um, I guess, of a lightning rod there, but it's ML Major League Baseball. Again, it's the review system. Got it. So, obviously, I'm referencing Brewers Braves the other night, the foul ball, quote unquote, catch where Luis Arias clearly on replay it was it was called a catch it was actually a fantastic play it bounced off the catcher omar narvaez luis arias came in scooped it off the ground for a nice play obviously they called him out on the field obviously it was replay it looked like the ball hit the ground but of course the umpires go to review it not only do they go to the review it then they come back and they call him safe and everybody in the stadium including the announcers are like how how do you miss that call turns out it's not a reviewable play so this whole thing with you know, review. I think the NFL started to kind of get it right where you can just automatically review turnovers and touchdowns and just not have to have stoppage of play and have the, the ref go over there and look at the thing and put his freaking headphones on and take so much away from the game. The fact that MLB has plays like this in the playoffs where like you should have every single play be reviewable. It just, that's just the way it should be. I don't know how this is not reviewable. I guess it's not because it's not between the bases, but it's still a play that affects a game. Yes, the Braves still won, so it's fine. But the fact that we're in 2021 and MLB still cannot get the review system right, it's just, I mean, it's embarrassing. It it is what it is, so you got to get it fixed. So we'll see you in the winter meetings. And we will see you guys next week. That's it for me, Ryan Reeves, Andrew Schuster. We are the Walk-Ons. It is Thursday, October 14th, 2021. We're out. The Walk-Ons.